Welcome to the Arrow Buddhist Tradition podcast series. The following podcast is from a teaching given by Nocturne Rinpoche in San Francisco in 2009 on the subject of relationship as practice. It is based on a book called Entering the Heart of the Sun and Moon, written by Nocturne Rinpoche and his wife, Contradation. For more information about the Arrow Buddhist tradition, please go to the website at arrowbuddhism.org. If you wish to make a donation to support this podcast project, please go to the section of the website labeled How to Help and select Make a Donation. Thank you. Chalame is um, an interesting word. Um, It's a word in Tibetan that is used in long day. Its normal meaning is uh, sky phenomena or it can mean vividness and it relates to um, rain, anything that moves in the sky, it could be a rainbow, meteors, stars, moon, anything in the sky. So it's a kind of a strange word in English language. We, we have no word like that. Things that occur in space. Um, what Chalame means in terms of the Kandropaonida Melonkut is a dimension of energy which is tapped when we fall in love it is available as a as a medium of connectivity I usually describe it as it is what enables us to rhyme with each other so I call it poetic turbulence that's not uh, a direct translation that's just how I translate poetic turbulence Uh, we find that when we fall in love we rhyme with each other now uh, the word um, the word adultery actually means to weaken or to water down if you adulterate whiskey you mix water with it You you adulterate it you weaken it so that um, having multiple partners unless you're a realized being is going to adulterate your chalame it's going to prevent you from rhyming you drift into assonance and cease to scan what is assonance? Oh, assonance. So it's just my little joke. Uh, I actually quite <laughs> like assonance. Assonance is when you rhyme with the vowel of a word rather than the whole word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, like spline and mime is assonance rather than a pu- rather than a pure rhyme, because one ends with an n and the other an m, but the i is the same. But that's called assonance. Sorry for... <laughs> I'm, I'm always like this, it's a, it's a problem. <laughs> but I'm kind of unrepentant about it, so there's... <laughs> uh-huh. So this is why, um, you know, it's not a moral issue, it's just an issue of energy. 
Uh, this is why when people are young, when you first fall in love, it's usually incredibly powerful. And then as you get older, the more relationships you have, and the more that Kandrapao Nida Melangyudnyam of Kandrapao reflection fades. And it, uh, the quickest way to destroy it is having multiple partners. Uh, unless you're a realized being. Multiple at the same time or in succession? Oh, multiple at the same time. I'm not talking about serial monogamy. It's also what, what, what destroys Tralame is, um, is uh, your deliberate sexual seduction that has got nothing to do with romance. That adulterates Tralame too. I'm just trying to understand um, more directly the relationship between manipulating or um, dissipating the attention and how that <coughs> adulterates or obscures the capacity to relate with the reflection. Um, is it a question of like the subtle body is affected or yes yeah it, it it is an energy that can be eroded there are all kinds of things you can put right but damage to tralame you can't put right it, it, it's too s subtle an energy for that it's powerful but it's also highly subtle so it really requires that one, that monogamous kind of situation mm -hmm. for it to be yes it's 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 almost like um, you know I was saying with Menak um, Day how uh, you know the ultimate practice of Menak Day is finding the presence of awareness in reality, but that's too vast. We can't do that. We have to move down and focus on something, and so you know from the dualistic position having one partner is extremely important. We have to focus because we cannot spread that. We can only spread that if we come from the non-dual state. So from the position of being in the non-dual state one can have multiple partners but then having multiple partners from that point of view is not going to be based on some kind of <laughs> gratification or whatever. It's going to be something entirely different. Like Padmasambhava, for example, uh, wasn't some kind of rampant bigamist. You know, there's, there's no similarity in that situation at all. There, it's a question of transmission and of benefiting beings. That's the motivation, rather than some kind of attraction to individuals. Does Trollamay account for um, a Tertan requiring a consort? Mm -hmm. Yes, also. Mm -hmm. Does that mean a Tertan? What does that mean, Tertan, the word? Uh, as, as time is fleeing now, 
I'd rather not go too far into this because it's a whole other subject because uh, there are still things to talk about um, if we had a, an, another hour it would be possible but um, uh, so I think that's pretty much done it with Trelawney there's not much more to know about it uh, it's the subtle end of the discussion but it's it's worth looking at, you know, you know, to understand one's situation uh, in terms of romance. Honesty is important because if you're honest, you're clear, you're not hiding anything about yourself, and you're being absolutely open with and to the other person, and and that is obviously crucial. So one falls in love with a person uh, one of the factors that adds to the whole excitement of this is trauma activated in non-romantic relationship yes but we won't be going there either so that's <laughs> that's that would take us away from yeah but it's it's still something mm -hmm. that makes it possible to yeah, connect it, with it, it also um, manifests between friends between pets between people and objects and situations it's a, huh. uh, it, it, it's vast but it's at its most intense in a romantic situation okay is mm -hmm. of course emptiness it's when you're not actually sure if you're an item or not. <coughs> you know, be an item. <laughs> when you're not absolutely sure if that's ongoing, you could lose it. Knowing you could lose it, or the idea that you could lose it, in terms of one's neurosis, is what keeps the pressure on to be open and kind. Mm -hmm. Now, once commitment sets in, usually all is lost. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with commitment. Commitment's a great thing, but what happens with commitment? Yeah. Take for granted. Take for granted. You don't have to try. Oh, it's formal. <laughs> <laughs> Poor getting low. <laughs> yeah, but why? What's got lost? Because you already have it. Emptiness has got lost. There's. Where's the emptiness? Emptiness is crucial. So in order for romance to continue, there needs to be emptiness. If you've lost the emptiness through becoming committed, then that emptiness somehow has to be replaced. Couldn't you have a strong emphasis on impermanence in seeing the impermanence and, and the uh, vulnerability of just being alive as, as part of that? invoking that kind of uh, fragility into the situation? Yeah, if you were a good Buddhist, but I'm talking about us people here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. 
naturally I mean you know it's it's when your partner gets rushed off to hospital and you go oh my god don't die don't die you know and you know and suddenly you've, you've got all this stuff comes up just because emptiness is looming right you know? um, I you know you suddenly realize how you feel about a person you know when the sirens going and they're whizzing off in the white vehicle you know <laughs> that's that's not good news but that's just emptiness coming back but one shouldn't have to rely on the ambulance to, <laughs> <laughs> to create that feeling. And, you know, to somehow dwell on the impermanence of it could also be a little bit artificial, you know. Uh, yes, yes, we're all going to die. You could be hit by a truck. Um, but how do I maintain that? That doesn't seem very real when that truck doesn't come along, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> or you have to hire Luigi the hitman. <laughs> now don't kill him or her completely, it's just whack him a bit. <laughs> <laughs> what you gonna do to get that? It's gonna be difficult. So don't rely on the ambulance for the ambiance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been hanging around me too long. <laughs> Indeed, quite so. This is where uh, the whole question of seeing one's partner as teacher becomes important in terms of it being a practice. When uh, romance is blossoming, one of course is very eager to learn from the other person what they say and what they have to tell you, what their interests are. These things are naturally fascinating. So, when you fall in love, when you are in love, when romance is there, then your partner will be functioning in some way as a teacher. Or at the very least as some kind of informant, some person who introduces you to areas of experience that are unfamiliar, someone who has a different idea and you're naturally interested in that idea. So this teaching function is naturally there in romance. So the way to remain in love forever is to remain with one's partner as teacher. And also uh, with what I mentioned earlier, this idea of seeking out either threat or challenge in the being of one's partner. This is not in what they suggest, but just observing them, observing how they are. I wonder, it seems to me that that would be in, for me when I think about it, that it, it would be more in, in observing how I am in reaction to that. Yeah, well, that's included. Yeah. Mm, certainly. So is it the experience of threat? Is it the experience of threat? Yes, the experience. There's how I do things and how they do things. Mm. You know, and how, 
how, how those how there's some kind of friction there And so the challenge of that, or the threat, is inherent. Mm. So, so the emptiness factor has to be there in allowing your partner to change your life all the time, being open to that change. That uh, I, I, I'm not going to have my way. And then, if your partner's saying, "I'm not going to have my way either," then you can feel safe not to have your way. Because you know your partner's not trying to have their way. They'd rather have your way and you'd rather have theirs. And that puts you in an interesting situation where I'm saying, no, let's go with your idea. And I said, no, I want to go with yours. And I think, well, what do you do then? (laughs) (laughs) Then you can only look at it and say, well, what really would be best? And then it's open, because often I'm trying to have my way simply because I feel safe with it. I want to have my way and have you acquiesce. But that's really tedious if you look at it. It's really far more interesting when your life can move and shift. And if you're both interested in in the other's position, So it's that interest has to be there and that uh, understanding that your partner is actually the key to your liberation in how they are different. And uh, put simply, one simply has to maintain courtship behavior. that wraps everything up into one idea I mean we can say all kinds of things about it but simply if you maintain courtship behavior then romance will continue if you stop courtship behavior it stops and that's when with the commitment you take each other for granted of course some people enter into relationship entirely spuriously simply because they're lonely and uh, some people enter relationships uh, having a, a poor idea of themselves thinking well you're the best I can get <laughs> that is a really bad approach that really doesn't work at all you know you've actually authentically got to be attracted and you've got to value the person any other kind of approach is disastrous so if you look at what's happening within romance you can see there is this openness and this kindness that that, that, that are no effort it's very important that it remains effortless Of course, it's very easy to be kind to a person if they're being kind to you. If they're always wanting to, you know, defer to what you want, it's very easy to defer to what they want. It's only when uh, that stops happening that you start fighting for what you want, and then the whole thing falls apart. You know, I've heard of couples with therapists 
making deals. Well, oh God, yeah, it's over. Forget it. You know, <laughs> this you can't make deals like that. It really doesn't work. What know. kind of deals? Well, uh, y you know, if you clean the bath after you, th then I'll flush the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to flush the toilet unless you clean the bath. I've heard people, oh, it's, it's, it's terrible. Wow. It's really grim, you know, and they'll sit with a the therapist talking about this, and the therapist should be saying, you know, get divorced, you know, <laughs> start again, <laughs> forget about it, you know. It's not about deal making, you know, it's, it, it's, it's what you do in industry or wherever for a pay rise or something, but it's not what you do in a relationship. You said that, that the emptiness gets replaced and then there was a question you never got, you never finished the sentence. You said when the emptiness is lost in a relationship it gets replaced. Oh, by, by the practice of, of maintaining um, courtship behavior. Oh, it gets replaced by complacency. You mean when the emptiness piece is, you said that when there was that emptiness piece was gone. Was gone because of commitment then you have to replace emptiness in some way and that is actually just maintaining courtship behavior which means that I don't always get what I want which makes you empty oh you really want to do this oh well, let's do this then you know it's the emptiness of that not no let's do what I want because it's what I want you can see how form that is I've got the relationship and I want this and the whole thing is highly turgid and structural mm -hmm. Rinpoche, does the, does the teaching have some aspect to it that deals with family in other words when you throw kids into the mix what happens then? Um. I mean, the courtship is one thing when you only have two people, but when you have, you know, children involved, it becomes a little bit more challenging. And how, how do you deal with them? Um, I'm just wondering if you're... Well, being as I... Being as contradiction, I have children. Um, uh, they're just an extension of it. They're not separate from it. Uh, we've never. I, I don't think I've ever had to look at it as something extra. I have to deal with, in terms of the relationship. Um, <coughs> yeah, they're not separate from it. They can't really be separate from it. You know, there's an environment. There's a home environment, and we. Uh, and we live there together. And we, um, so then being thrown into the mix is no more different really than getting a new carpet or something. <laughs> Except the carpet talks to you and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's, the whole thing is there, you know. Um, you know, the whole environment, you know. Um, uh, it, it expands outwards, you see. I, I mean, uh, comparing the children to the carpet is, is, is not entirely facetious because um, I, I 
love my carpets. You know, <laughs> they're beautiful. I look at my carpet. Fantastic carpet. I love this carpet. Um, it was left to me by my aunt. And, um, but you find that where you get uh, a romantic couple, you find they attract other people. People like being around them. And they'll often ask them advice on life issues because they seem imbued with some kind of wisdom. That often happens. And so in terms of a family having children, there's an atmosphere that, that grows from that. It's really important. I mean, people uh, talk a lot about world peace, etc., uh, I've never been that interested in it myself um, as a subject um, because mostly how people approach it seems odd to me uh, in as much as if you want world peace you have to have um, parents who like each other. <laughs> if parents liked each other and were respectful to each other, <laughs> you'd have a peaceful world, you know. Oh. It's because you have screwed up parents who have screwed up children who want to whack each other, you know. And then they want to whack everyone else in the world too. Mm. So, so the answer to it, as far as I can see, although it wouldn't rule out sociopathy, but we'd really get a long way if, you know, if, if parents actually liked and respected each other. So these are two other qualities here which are important and which also uh, are instigators of emptiness, which are trust and respect. If you've chosen a person and you're going to live with that person, you need to trust them and respect them. Now, respecting a person means being wrong sometimes. <gasps> <laughs> being able to be wrong and to trust a person means putting yourself at risk which is also emptiness so trust and respect invoke risk and if you don't want to invoke that risk through trust and respect emptiness happens anyway because you lose the relationship. <laughs> so, you e so you can either have emptiness or you can have emptiness. <laughs> Your choice. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Does this practice apply to same-sex relationship? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does this uh, apply to same-sex relationship? And I said yes. Although I can't really speak about that because I, I don't come from that position, so I, I don't have a lot to. Um, I, what, what I often say is that it would be really fabulous if there were a, a gay Tertan who would give rise to some teaching on, on same sex relationship. Uh, I don't have such teachings, and so I, I can't really make any comment. Uh, I wouldn't even like to try because there'd be no purpose. I couldn't infuse it with anything. I could theorize, but I'd rather not. I, I think everything I've said would apply. The, the trust and respect would have to apply. 
Um, is seeing the phenomenal world as that would be tricky uh, I don't know what would happen there but uh, one thing of which I have complete confidence is that whatever human formulation there is in duality is a distortion of the realized state and therefore open to practice so there can't be any formulation that is divorced from the realized state but just what the practice would be would require um, you know, teaching specifically on that s subject from someone who was inspired within that particular position I'm sorry I can't comment and I'm sorry that this subject isn't broad enough for that but um, but it doesn't mean it couldn't be at some point in the future. Respect and willing to be wrong. Can you say something about that? Well, if I respect you, and I have a certain idea about some object, and you say, oh no, it's not like that, then because I respect you, I'm not going to say asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I'm going to say, oh, really? I'm going to th doubt myself because I respect you, therefore I'm going to say, well, huh. So you think it's, it's like that then, that what I've just said is not accurate? <laughs> I've got no choice but to doubt myself. And that's really valuable. Yeah? And being right all the time would be a drag, you know. It really would, because there'd be nothing new. So, if, you know, that's really important, you know, trust and respect. Being able to be wrong is, is the availability of emptiness yeah. in the situation. Yeah. And, th and that's really necessary. Examples aren't really a good idea in this situation because I would have to invent them uh, and I think it's important to understand the principles there. Uh, I mean basically partner as teacher is partner as different person, partner with uh, you know person with different perspective that that clashes with your perspective and you need to see that as creative when Kandradechan and I disagree on something uh, we, we find it interesting <coughs> Ooh, that's interesting we think different things about the subject it's intriguing because it opens up a whole area of mystery then because we don't settle on, well, I, I think I'm right here. Because we both think, oh, maybe I'm wrong about this, you know. <laughs> maybe it's like you think it is, or maybe it's some other way entirely. So that's quite exciting then, you know. It's exciting when something new can happen because we have different ideas and we immediately you know, you know, doubt our own positions. 
And often people think that doubting your own position is a position of weakness. But it's actually a position of great strength because I don't damn my idea. I don't, I don't have to go with my idea. I don't have to be right. I'm strong enough to be wrong, you know. I'm strong enough to look at that and say, well, maybe this is a rubbish idea. Maybe the things I haven't considered, that is interesting. But you have to have a lot more strength to do that. And it's a lot more worthwhile. Life becomes far more interesting. Uh, it also becomes interesting you know, when you have children too. You know, I've, uh, I, I've done things with Robert that I'd never dreamed I'd do. Does like the same I, go for your carpet rendition? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I've I've worn sneakers, you know. <laughs> Dad, would you wear those sneakers to the park with me? All right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I hope there's no one with a camera around. <laughs> Could you comment at all if, about ex-wife or ex-husbands and the <laughs> dynamics if they're still involved with one of the partners, you know, whether they kids, like if you're in a Vajra relationship and don't have children together, but then the other element that is pay, playing is maybe like stepchildren, yeah. ex-wife, you know, how they play. It's difficult. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, all I'd say is it's difficult. <laughs> uh, I often say that, that marriage is entirely meaningless. Having children <laughs> marries you. Just getting married doesn't marry you. When you have children, then you're connected with that person forever. Um, and that's going to be as pleasant or unpleasant as it as it works out, but um, I've got nothing p particular to say without a specific example that that might be not something you might want to say at this present time, but and even then um, I would say just well, you know, the principles of kindness there depend on how kind the other person is being to you in the situation and what's being demanded and it's very complicated it would turn into a therapy session you know if we were to talk about it it, it couldn't go any other way I wouldn't know what to say but um, this teaching doesn't really talk about that so much actually doesn't talk about it at all uh, it doesn't talk about relationship going wrong really apart from explaining why but once it's gone wrong then there is no chondral power need a melancute teaching anymore then it's a case for therapy uh, I have recommended sometimes to people just start saying yes again to everything uh, stop saying no say yes to everything if you want to change it and occasionally that's worked out and people have thought this is more fun than saying no <laughs> but then you know you can't keep saying yes if the other person is saying no because <laughs> then you know then you're just being allowing yourself to be abused and that doesn't work 
I think that's about as far as I can take that idea. The other answer is the powerful handgun, you just kill them and... <laughs> <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> oh, I'll come to you, there's one here first. Okay. Um, so the role of discernment, I've been wanting to ask this, just you mentioned about a situation where um, that there is a, abuse or that the person, you're, you're, you're sort of trying to go along with it, but it's very much not in your interest and you're trying to figure out how to discern that and and clearly you're out of the kind of relationship that you're talking about yeah. but you're not aware of that and so it can it perpetuate the situation of abuse and how do you discern when you're trying to be open? Uh, well if you're no longer in love then you're into another area then you're having to look after your own interests and all those other things apply. So you can't be seeking threat, you can't be seeking challenge, you can't be doing any of that. And if you're looking after your own interests, then you ought to be out of the relationship. So, so uh, my advice on when to leave is yesterday. I'm a terrible person to talk to uh, people having problems with their relationship. I'm usually saying, split up. <laughs> uh, you know, if you can't do it, don't do it. You know, it's better for people to be friends than to be, um, uh, you know, cohabiting enemies. It doesn't work. Obviously, there are situations with children that, that then that gets complicated again, and um, there are all kinds of other factors. But if there are no children, you're always better off on your own. Mm. So, so you, you're either having a good relationship or you're not having a relationship. I would say. In those um, the dysfunctional elemental descriptions, you know, so mm -hmm. those people is it too late or could they? Oh, for those people, it's oh. way too late. Okay. Yes. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, no, there's, um, uh, the dysfunctional, the, um, uh, the uh, vignettes of dualistic derangement uh, are descriptions of bad to worse. They're not descriptions of not so good even, it's, it's, it's just all downhill. They're caricatures. You know, there's no middle ground there. One is describing perfection, the other is describing uh, horror. They're extremes. Yeah. But, you know, to describe everything would, would be a monstrous great book. Um, so, so you just get these two patterns. You can see, you know, how, how a thing can escalate, uh, you know, into ever-increasing splendidness or, or how it can degenerate, and, and those are the two patterns there. But I, you know, I think basically, if you find yourself saying no, you've got to think about it and think, well, do I really want to say no? Uh, and what does no mean? 
And if I'm being mean or inconsiderate to my partner, or if I'm being like this, or if I'm holding on to resentment, um, I've sometimes said this to people, you know, if you're holding on to a resentment and you're keeping an argument going about bad feeling or whatever, what you have to ask yourself is, is this what I actually want? What do I want more than this? Do I actually want this to characterize my relationship? Do I want to have this bad feeling more than I want to be having a, a nice time and forgiving the other person? <coughs> uh, romance will withstand a certain amount of bad treatment uh, unless you've disturbed Trelamé too much, in which case it won't. You know, you know the first thing and you're out the door, but um, you know, learning to say you're sorry. Uh, 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 there was some film about that with which I completely disagree. Be, uh, you know, being in love is always saying you're sorry, all the time. Not not saying you're sorry. It says you've got to say you're sorry about everything. You know? I'm sorry to you too for blathering on all weekend. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, uh, yes. Anyway, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's getting on time now, so I'll 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 finish on any questions until we've run out of time. So um, yesterday, when all your troubles seem so far away. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no. <laughs> I, was, I was struck by how you spoke about emptiness being an experience of ambiguity. I can't even write my, read my writing here. Yes. Uncertainty and all that. And then you talk about in the practice how threat and challenge works mm -hmm. to do that. And so I'm kind of playing in my mind with the emptiness and I was thinking of how when you started to speak yesterday you kind of were talking about like this aesthetic experience and like an artistic well, maybe I'm mm -hmm. formulating yes. this yeah. as an artistic posture so these are almost like threat and challenge are kind of yes yeah while I'm thinking of like an aesthetic experience that's more I mean would that be too uh, like aesthetic experiences like an emptiness experience like wow mm -hmm. like yes wonder or mm -hmm. curiosity yes. or something like that huh? Could all you of that. that yeah I mean all, all those things are involved in in romance, which I, I, I think I was making reference to uh, my book, uh, which is a kind of a monothematic memoir, which which takes the theme of the arts, but includes relationship in the arts, simply because I can't divide them, because art comes out of relationship in terms of living. I have an extremely broad concept of what art is and I describe various people uh, in the book as lifestyle artists. You know, how people dress, how they live. There's one character called Rocker Ron. <laughs> Ronald Bigsley, who... Uh, uh, there was a biker cafe that I used to go to <coughs> when I was about 16, 17. And, um, so I, you know, I just appreciated them as lifestyle artists, these people who hung out in this cafe 
uh, generally living on on moving stolen goods. but I, I, I ignored that aspect. They were just there, and, and there was some kind of ambience around them. And, um, they were interesting, and I'd been warned not to go there <laughs> by friends, uh, particularly because I had an RAF flying jacket that was brown. <laughs> and that was asking for trouble going in there wearing a brown jacket. Yeah. And indeed it was, because Rocker Ron, who was 35 and had been in prison for 18 months for grievous bodily assault, for tearing a sink off a wall and throwing it at the guy and breaking his ribs, um, came up to me and said, So you like brown, do you? <laughs> and I said, Yes, Ron, uh, I like my jacket. He says, Well, good for you. Uh, I appreciate individuality. And then he walked back to his table again and that was it. <laughs> and for me that was, I just like that kind of experience, you know, so is he going to rip my head off or <laughs> uh, And in the end he kind of liked me for some reason, I don't know why. He called my chopper a pixie chariot because he, <laughs> he was an old, an old fashioned rocker. You know, he didn't he didn't go for handlebars up here and Frisco pegs. You know, the whole thing. And uh, I, I sort of went with his remark, and I repainted my petrol tank uh, uh, with sort of a deep sparkling pink and uh, uh, purple psychedelic letters. I painted on it, Pixie Chariot. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, there was. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's, it was interesting even, I mean, I didn't have much of a relationship with this guy. I hardly ever talked to him. He just nodded to me and I nodded to him as I went in. I, I think the only other words we ever exchanged was uh, when he said, see you're keeping that pixie chariot sparkly clean. I, I said, I'd like to keep my fire engine clean. It's a clean machine. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And his friends kind of looked at me, and he laughed, so it was all right. You know, they were kind of relying on him, was you know, whether we take this guy apart or not. And, um, then he died in a car accident, of all things. And uh, I went to the funeral, and uh, he was widely known. Uh, a thousand people showed up. There were over a thousand motorbikes there that day in Aldershot. People came from the continent. Yeah, they came from the continent. It was a, a wild. The place was under police siege. You know, they were expecting some kind of violence, but nothing happened. And Rockeron's friend said to me, uh, "You'll be going to Ron's funeral. He would have wanted you there. He liked you. Don't know why." <laughs> 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 they spoke like that. You know. <laughs> and then there was my parents saying, you know, you shouldn't go there. You know, you know, it might be dangerous. And I think you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Be dangerous for me not to go to Rochester. <laughs> His friends would murder me. <laughs> but you know, art. Uh, I have a wide sense of what art means. I mean, that whole thing. And, a thousand motorbikes in this small English town, you know, and they doom, 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 all going at about five miles an hour. The whole thing was 
like a film set. You know? mm. And the relationships you have with people, I mean, I still remember him to this day. I mean, we weren't friends even. I was just somebody he wasn't going to murder. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of interesting. And I, you know, there can be an appreciation of a whole gestalt there. You know, here I am talking about him now in San Francisco, you know, all these years later. And there's this, you know, connection that's there. It's extraordinary. And um, Yeatsel at the back, at this very moment, well, not at this very moment, but at some moments, is making me a Rockeron memorial motorcycle jacket <laughs> in brown. <laughs> it's now six o'clock and that's the end. I, I, I didn't intend to take up the last ten minutes of rock around, but there's art for you. <laughs> I hope that answers your question. Thank you very much for coming. You've been a splendid group of people and have asked a lot of questions. I always like that. So th thank you very much and I hope you've got something useful by the end and it wasn't all entirely bewildering, apart from the vignettes, which I hope will remain bewildering, unless you've been there or want to go there. <laughs> oh, I mean, want to go to the good bits. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>